I'm Matt Downing, and welcome to Diving Deep EDU. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. The Diving Deep EDU podcast aims to have thought-provoking conversations that help listeners dive deeper into educational practices with a focus on teacher retention, recruitment, and burnout. Subscribe to the Diving Deep EDU podcast newsletter to get more information about this podcast and these topics. A link is in the show notes. Our guest today is Matthew Wheland. Matt is a former classroom teacher that now works at Formative, the world's best formative assessment platform. Matt, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. I want to start the conversation off by you telling us a little bit more about the work that you're doing with Formative. Thank you, Matt, for the introduction. Um, What I do at Formative is I support schools and districts looking to evaluate um, our platform. So one of two ways, they either reach out to me or I reach out to them to have that conversation and guide them through a process of, hey, this is what we do. Does this align with any of your initiatives? Does this fill any gaps for you? If so, that that means that there's a good match and we talk through next steps and what it looks like to bring us on as a platform. Cool. So tell us, the listeners, tell me, I'm a little bit familiar with it by following you on LinkedIn and different things, but like, what is formative? Formative is, that was my wording, by the way, that Matt introed it with. We are the the world's best formative (laughs) assessment platform. And our founder is a previous seventh grade teacher for Teach for America. I believe oh, cool. he was in the Compton School District in California, and he developed a program online that had a huge impact on student learning. And what he essentially did was he took a an approach of measuring student answers, aligning them to standards, and then tracking their progress. And he had something stupid. Uh, he knows the number. I forget what it is, like 90% growth. Oh, and wow. he had all of his students pass the end of year, which his school was notoriously a failing school district. So once he kind of saw those results, I think he realized, I think I can help others here. And so he went back to grad school, uh, learned a little bit about running a business. And that's kind of the the start of of how Formative got going. I would say we really took off during the COVID pandemic Mm -hmm. time. Really simply, we were not a platform designed for remote learning. It just so happened that everybody during, I mean, we were designed for in-class usage. Craig used us, our founder, in the classroom. Um, But during COVID, everyone was asking the same question, which is, I now have a screen between me and my entire class of students. Mm -hmm. How can I know they've all turned their cameras off? How can I know that they're engaged (laughs) in my lesson And how can I know what they're thinking? How do Mm -hmm. I know that they're actually learning this material? And that just so happens to be what we are. That's that's our specialty. That's what we do best. That's cool. So bring us into a, let's go seventh grade math class, right? And we want to use formative in there. We want to figure out if they're 
you know, if they're learning, what does that look like? Well, I would say a couple of things. So one of the benefits of our platform is that it's extremely flexible. So pretty much whatever you have as your lesson plan, we can help you in some capacity. So I like to emphasize a gradual release model that is very popular in math. So for example, a direct instructional piece, Mm -hmm. a guided practice piece, and then an independent practice piece. So start with some direct instruction by using, there are two ways students can experience the formative platform. Number one, through a self-paced learning style, which is exactly how it sounds. A teacher throws together, you know, 10 questions, the students move through it at their own pace. Everything can be auto-graded depending on which of the 20 question types you use. Uh, There is an ability to require students to show their work, which by the way, everything going on with artificial intelligence right now, (laughs) hey, you can find answers to almost anything. And it's been that way in math for a long time. Students can cheat math, you know, for years. Cheating is not new, but requiring students to show their answers. So we have graphing questions there and a variety of ways to collect student evidence of learning. But that's, there's a self-paced model. And then there's a teacher-paced model where you're actually taking control of if they have their laptops in front of them, their screen. So you're doing some, you know, question and answer, you're displaying some work on the screen. And then you may notice, because you're getting live responses as the students are answering your questions, and you can see who's getting it, who's not getting it. You can even press a button and watch it measure against a standard, which Mm. shows standards mastery or not. If you see that they're not going, if they're not getting it, you can just write on the fly, add additional questions until you feel comfortable. And then once you feel like you're at a decent spot, release them into a a guided practice role and then click self-paced, click end lesson. And then whatever is left as part of your formative, let's say you had another 20 questions on there or whatever, then you just let them go independent and you're watching their work on I kind of wish we could share screens here and we weren't just audio. I can show you. It's so it's so amazing the way that it works in truly real time. Yeah, I was going to ask. I had it on the tip of my tongue, but I sort of stopped myself. But I'm going to ask it anyway so we can sort of drive it home because you explained it. I was going to say, what's the difference between formative and me as the teacher creating like a Google form and having mm-hmm. them you know, complete that as a formative assessment. So you kind of explain that, but can you drive it home a little bit more, the difference between formative and assessing student learning versus me as the classroom teacher, I'm creating all of these Google Forms or my, you know, the question, I throw it out a couple times throughout the lesson. What's the difference? Yeah, that's an that's a great question. And I want to say that, number one, a lot, I talk to a lot of teachers in districts who use Google Forms because frankly, that's the only way they have to do formative assessment besides pen and paper. So exit tickets and entry tickets, for example, they're like, I'm going to hand out a sheet of paper, which means I get 120 students (laughs) and I've got 120 exit tickets. These are exit tickets by definition are supposed to be quick checks for understanding. When you got 120 ripped up sheets of paper in your desk, there's nothing quick about that. No, and they're probably just going to go in the trash. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So I would say use formative there. A lot of them are leaning on Google forms just as a quick way an auto graded answer. That's what they're mm. looking for. Yep. So let me just name off like, I don't know, eight differences right now. So number one, Google forms does not have a teacher pace mode. You can't control the pace yeah. of the lesson. You can't hit stop, start. So if I don't like the answers I'm seeing, I'm going to hit pause. The student cannot continue working because they can't see anything. It's all blurred out. 
So I'm in control of the last thing. I have assigned settings like timer, entry, uh, closed, open. I can input accommodations for students. Uh, thirdly, I have video questions. I can record my screen. I have audio questions, text-to-speech. I can give customized feedback to one student at a time or all 30 at a time. There you go. That's a real, That's six differences, yeah. I think, offhand um, that are ways to enhance your current experience. And by the way, Google Forms can't track your standards. Oh, that's another one. Yeah. Yeah. I've no, got that's about helpful. 20 more, but I'll, I'll, <laughs> but I, you, you probably have another question you want to ask. So I'll stop there. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And, uh, and that's really helpful. And I think that I understand and hopefully the listeners understand as well. Before we move on to, to hear about your story, if someone is interested in formative or learning a little bit more about it, what, where would they go? What should they do? Yeah, so it depends on what level. So number one, if you're looking to bring formative to your entire school, um, go to formative.com and then there's a way to click and learn inform- learn more information, put your information in, and then the appropriate person will reach out to you. If you're in one of the areas that I service, you know, then I'll reach out to you. You can always email me directly, Matthew at formative.com. That's an easy way. And I can direct you to one of my colleagues. Um, the districts that I support are in Ohio, Illinois, and New York. Okay. So that's if you're in one of those, you can reach out to me um, directly. But if you're just looking to like, like Matt, we were talking before the podcast started about the type of people that are listening to this. Yeah. Typically, these are extremely tech savvy people who are just yeah. ready to like press a button and play with it immediately. Mm-hmm. In that case, you just use your Google login or your team's single sign on and you just sign up on our website and you just go. Now you'll be on our free version, which you know, is a little bit limited, yeah. but you'll get some of the core experience just for free and you can play along that way. And you're at Formative now. Before then, you were at some B2B and some other things, but you started off, I believe, as a teacher. Tell us a little bit about your teaching story. You know, what got you into teaching and how long were you teaching and, and sort of where? Give us a picture of your teaching story. So I was born and raised in public education, a small district of about 1,300 students in a suburb of Akron, Ohio. That's where I was uh, born and raised. I went into, I got my first teaching job after I graduated college in 2009, and I was a substitute teacher to supplement the other job I was doing at the time. So just did it kind of to, to fill my time and make a little bit extra money. Yeah. And immediately I just fell in love with what I was doing. Mm. Uh, it's just something about the, even as a substitute teacher, I just knew this is for me. And so that was in a small town in Indiana is where I took that substitute teaching job outside of Fort Wayne. And I took the first full-time gig I could get. And I mentioned I born and raised in public, but I taught in private. So the first full-time gig, that was right when the economy collapsed. So so nobody was giving up their jobs Mm -hmm. in 2009, 2010. And so the first gig I I took, I moved across the country to to grab it um, and then taught in private schools for seven years. You mentioned you loved teaching and you love it, you know, still now. What what about it did you did you really love? Well I loved the content. I taught religion and philosophy. I feel like the concepts in there about how to teach students how to think critically and make really important life decisions mm. was really crucial to and connected to me. Uh, faith had impacted my life very personally. Mm. And so I helped I, I enjoyed helping other people come to their conclusions about 
their beliefs and and also just sifting through like what's popularly called misinformation now. Yeah. Teaching people how to think for the rest of their lives, not just this is how you survive seventh grade, but like really I feel like the skills that I taught last a lifetime if the students were open to learning it. Yeah. Um, but I felt like I was in doing that. I, I felt like I was changing the world. I was mm. making the world a better place in front of the whiteboard. And uh, that was something very special, something very personal. And yeah. I felt it, I felt like it was a calling to be honest. So you had this uh, love for teaching, you were teaching and, and really enjoying it and having an impact on the students. But then there was a moment, you know, because you didn't stay in teaching that, that you left. Tell us about that moment. What, what made that happen? Bring us into that so we can better understand it. Yeah, this is typically a three drinks in kind of conversation. <laughs> so, Matt, it's going to sound like I'm oversharing to everybody. They're going to like, they're going to sit, they're going to turn the radio dial down in their headphones <laughs> and go, whoa, Matt, too much information. So I apologize in advance. And when I tell this story to people who are looking to exit potentially education and take a role into ed tech or business world. My story is always the one that they can never relate to. And so I'll just mm. <laughs> say that it, it is what it is. But as I mentioned, I felt like it was a calling. I was getting paid very little at a private school. So people have a misconception that you make more money in a private school. And see, that wasn't the case for me. I was making 25% less than my public school colleagues with seven years in and a master's degree. And by this point in my life, I moved down to South Carolina, which is where I still call home. And I went through a surprise, no fault divorce in 2016, right before it was like around Thanksgiving break. And then during Christmas break, I realized, you know, because I was at the salary that I was, I did it because I loved it. Hmm. And I didn't teach math, but I looked at the new child support bill that I was being sent monthly. (laughs) I looked at my attorney fee I looked at the fact that I was going to be paying my own mortgage and for an apartment at the time until we got everything squared away legally. Mm-hmm. I didn't teach math, but I could I could do the, <laughs> I, the numbers weren't in my favor. <laughs> and so I realized I thought, yeah. man, this is the toughest season of my entire life. I mm-hmm. think I've got to go somewhere else. And so it was very unfortunate. I hated it. But that's what I needed to do. And I took the first gig I could, which Matt, get this. I sold cars. Oh, for wow two years just to get by and to gain uh, some sort of business sales experience on my resume. I, I did it not because I had passionate about cars. I didn't know a thing about cars. I just knew I needed income mm-hmm. <laughs> immediately. And then I needed to start building a resume and it was just something designed to get me by until I could mm-hmm. figure out something else. So yeah, that's, that's what it looked like for me. Yeah. Sorry to hear that, you know, that tough time in your life. Was it that simple as salary. So if you were making more in your teaching, would you have preferred to have stayed in the classroom? Uh, For me, I realized my experience is, you know, like I said, unrelatable to a lot of people. But for me, the answer to that is yes, it was purely a pay reason. I'm sure you've got some other folks that come on and say, parents, uh, teacher-student relationships, and administration problems. Mm -hmm. I imagine those are three of the common ones. Would you agree with that, or would you say that there are additional reasons you've heard? Yeah, well, it's funny. People do mention the pay, but they usually bury it a little bit. Like Mm -hmm. it's... Like, like you just said, um, I don't get treated with professionalism. I don't have the respect. Someone just talked about opportunity. Like, 
you feel like within schools, you're not given opportunity to expand and do things and, and move on and innovate, like it's stifling. So I hear all of these different things. And then researchers, I talk to them and they're bringing up different things. But you're the first person I've talked to that has pay like literally top of the list and sort of soul on the list um, as, as number one priority. But it is an issue nationwide with the pay and your story sort of bringing that to light. So you shifted and went into car I mean, without getting too specific and, you know, we could be three, four drinks in and just share everything. But like about how much percentage wise were you making more selling cars than when you were a classroom teacher? Double. Seriously? Seriously. Now, I, uh, this is part of my story. And this is kind of what I tell people that want to begin a career in sales. And it's, it's, it's only increased since then, Matt. Wow. That, that, that was year one when I had no experience. I didn't know what I was doing. I used, you know, I believe that God gives us unique gifts and talents and whatever, yeah. but you got to work hard, man. And I just went in and I grinded. I worked hard. I asked people a ton of questions until I became an expert in what I was doing. And I was the top sales rep at three different companies in three years. And education wow. set me up for that. Okay. I used skills that I'd learned in the classroom that were maybe amateurs, you know, like early, and I developed them and honed them in. And selling at the end of the day is figuring out what the person really wants. You ask hmm. some questions, you figure out what they want. If you have that, then you offer it to them, and then you break down barriers that might get in the way of that. And in hmm. buying a car, a lot of that stuff is, you know, cash down payment, credit score. There's some things that you can't control, but my job is to, that person comes in, they want a car or something that day. Yeah. And I, I work at a dealership. My job is to put them in the car that they want by asking questions. And sometimes they come in, they're like, I want this, this, and this. And I'm like, why? And they're like, well, because I want to do this. Ah, you don't want that then. You want this over here. And they go, hmm. wow. And that's part of being a good seller. And the, uh, let's be honest, that's what we do as teachers. We yeah. ask questions, we uncover the issue. They think they think it's this. And then we ask a, a, another couple questions and realize, no, something a, a little bit different. And we help people. That's why we all became teachers. So you had a really good experience within the classroom. It was like solely the the issue that went on in your life and then the money that sort of brought it to the point where, you're, where you sort of had to leave. What about the classroom? You know, we've talked about this love of learning and this love of teaching. What about it like fostered this really positive experience? Because not everyone feels like that. You know, there's some people that that you brought up like parents or... The behaviors are out of control or this is out of control. What about it created at the school you were at such a positive experience that the only reason you wanted to leave was the money? Like if there was more money, you would have stayed because it was so positive. What what created that? Yeah. And let me be transparent and admit, you know, a little bit that part of working at a private school is that schools can be selective in which students they mm -hmm. admit and don't. So I was I'm happy to say I, I was sheltered a little bit from some of the hardships that teachers face on a regular basis. Um, so some, some friction there that teachers might encounter in that capacity. I didn't for the most part. Now look, trust me, kids in private school aren't all angels. I can, yeah. <laughs> I can tell you that they've got their unique set of challenges mm -hmm. um, that, that come up in the classroom and they they'll get away with whatever you let them get away with. So you still yeah. have to bring it in terms of, 
earning their respect, managing the classroom well. For the most part, I felt like I had pretty good administration. I'll tell an example of this. Uh, My principal, when I, so I don't want, never mind. I was going to tell you a story about my master's degree and when I was teaching part-time. In short, I never wanted to teach middle school and somehow I ended up teaching middle school. So my principal is now like, you know, a middle school principal. And I'm like, dude, I have no idea. I, I teach high school students, but you offered me this middle school job so I can pay for my master's degree. Teach me what I need to learn. And he, mm-hmm. you know, walked me through the unique challenges that middle schoolers faced. And in that sense, really mentored me and it did a personal, you know, took a personal interest in me. But I remember the first time I got really lamb- lambasted by a parent. <laughs> I, mean, I think we all have those moments. Yeah. And one of them really took me to task and wrote this very long letter to my principal explaining why I was, you know, a terrible teacher and all this kind of stuff. And so he calls me into his classroom and the first thing he does says, Hey Matt, I I wanted to talk about something. I, I, you know, X, Y, Z and student. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that student is a pain in my, you know, where, (laughs) yeah, well, their parent wrote in, here's what they said. I want you to take a minute and just read it and just react to it and give me, your side of things. And I just want to know where things are. And then we can talk about what to do next. I mean, talk about such a neutral perspective to take. I think that most of the people listening to this would say that they had administrators that might handle that situation very differently. What do you think? Oh yeah. 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 A couple of things jump out to me from that story is the administrator was thoughtful and they had time and they brought you in and was like, read this, you know, and then able to have that conversation rather than this quick or even sending it through you through an email, like, like deal with this or I, I want this resolved. But they took the time and the effort and the thoughtfulness to bring you in, treat you like a professional. That's one thing I'm seeing from a lot of people bringing up the lack of professionalism. And take your time. Now, what are your thoughts on this? Like, what's true? What isn't true? Is there anything in there we should deal with? Is there anything you want me to support you in? I think that's a wonderful uh, story. And it brings to light, like, one of the things that we need within schools in order to support teachers and keep them coming back. Because it's pay is an important aspect. And I appreciate the fact that you're bringing that to the forefront and some of the other guests have as well. But A lot of people are saying there's these other things like support, professionalism, respect, you know, development that could keep teachers, as long as they can sustain their life, they could keep them in the classroom and keep them in the profession. Now, you talk to a number of, you know, teachers transitioning out of the classroom as well. I'm interested, you know, without saying people's names and stuff like that, getting too personal. What are some motivators you're seeing from these people as, as you're talking to them? Yeah. And Matt, let me up the ante on that previous story by one. My administrator responded the way that he did. Other teachers and their administrators might respond in the way that they do. The parent that filed that report against me was on the board of education. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so let's just say that my administrator gets a, a standing ovation for the way that he handled that, but how much more knowing the daggers that he would potentially take if he, if knowing that he could take my side on that issue. That's so, huge. Yeah. The administrator, I'm just saying that like student behavior compared to what a lot of people face, like I hear stories of 
students flipping uh, desks, fighting in class, yeah, yeah. pulling down things off of the wall, administrators guilt tripping and belittling employees. I, you know, I experienced a little bit of those things as well, but primarily I try to take a mindset of I'm going to control what I can control. And my job is to educate these young people. So that's really mm-hmm. what I poured myself into. But for the most part, it is pretty much a single issue for me Now, to, to get to your wait, hold on, Matt, before go you go, go before you go to the other teachers, I guess I never, we never finished the story. So tell us how did the administrator, like interact after you read the letter and how did that situation get resolved? It was, if you can imagine, it was like um, a mediator. I mean, Mm. he said, okay, Matt, so you're saying that this is what happened. This is your point of view. I can understand the parent is kind of (laughs) saying this, this is their point of view. The truth's probably somewhere in the middle, but at the end of the day, you're my employee. I'm going to protect you as much as I can. I'm going to deal with this situation. I'll send a note. Um, I don't remember if he tagged me in his reply back, maybe not, but I mean, he really did shield me and I never heard another thing about the issue. That's cool. There's a lot that we can learn from that. You know, there's a lot that administrators can learn. There's a lot that teachers can learn as far as like what good leadership would look like. And if if I'm a leader in a school, that's what I would aspire to be like, like that, to act like that person, you know, especially, and that's, that's, that's wild that 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 parent was on the school board or the, the board of directors if it was a private school, or maybe they had a school board, they named it that. Because that's a big deal. Like I'm in public education. This Everyone knows who the school board is and everyone knows who their, their kids are. And they definitely get treated a little bit differently. Like you don't mm-hmm. ruffle those feathers. And if you do, there's going to be a problem. Like they just don't want mm-hmm. to deal with that. And the fact that that principal was able to just like manage that and have a conversation and protect you, but still deal with it. That's, that's great. In the moment I was so naive and new to Mm -hmm. that school. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know the context. I didn't know whose parents, you know, represent old money in the community, (laughs) who represents the school board and all these kind of things. Um, But after kind of learning all that and a few years of life experience, Mm -hmm. I mean, that guy, he became a hero that day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I I watched him handle other situations with just such such grace, and I, I mm. hope and pray that every I wish every teacher could work for an administrator like that at some point in their career, so they can experience what a blessing working in education can be. Never perfect, yeah, but man, you know, good leadership goes goes a long way. Yeah, thanks for sharing that story. I was asking about before we uh, finished up the story. I was asking about like, what are some other motivations you're hearing from teachers transitioning out of the classroom? Like, what are some of their frustrations? Like, what are some of their reasons? What, like, why? Yeah, I hear a, a, a mixture of the things that we've described: salary, lack of support, parents berating teachers, mm. students berating teachers, a lack of respect overall. Yeah additional workloads, additional meetings being assigned to them. But ultimately, I I hear one phrase probably above everything that kind of summarizes all of that. And that is, they'll say to me, Matt, I finally reached a point where I have to choose myself. Hmm. I have to choose my own mental health as much as I've given this everything I can possibly give. I I realized after some reflection that this just isn't the best place for me anymore. And it's time for me to, to, to make a move. It's like all those pieces like build up 
and they're building up on the, on the person's back and then they finally can't take anymore and then they just sort of crumble over and yeah they need to they need something different and that's a sad it's a sad place to be you know if you're if you're sort of choosing something else because of those all of those things are piling upon you it's different if you decide to choose something different because you know you want to but to almost be forced because of the circumstances is a, is a sad that's right. situation. I, I think that that's how they feel. I think that they feel like I, I'm at this point, I have no other choice, mm. which it, which I can relate to. I, yeah. I felt like I had no other choice and okay. And if I can, and most of these people, these are LinkedIn conversations um, 99% of the time. So it's not like we're going super, super deep. They're just reaching out for help. And so, yeah. uh, but if I can, I usually will say something like, look, if you can stay, like we, we need good teacher you seem like a good teacher you should you should stay but uh, but they've reached the point and so i don't want to you know they already have so much internal probably guilt for feeling the way that they do in the first place so i don't want to you know stand in their way of a decision you know and that's so that's what i that's why i that's why they reach out because they're like i feel like you can help me matt and sometimes i can sometimes i can't yeah i want to ask one more question about you know like working outside of the classroom so i've been in public education for i believe 17 years many of the listeners are educators for life right they've been in education some people maybe are thinking to get outside of education but many of us including myself just don't know what that world is like i think some of us might paint a picture of life outside of education is like this, or it's a lot more work, or it's a lot more pressure, or it's a lot more hours. Bring us into a little bit more of of what that work is like on a daily basis outside of education. Because many of us, you know, we're used to the, you know, 7.30 to three o'clock, we got the bells, you know what I mean? We got like all of these different structures. And, you know, we don't know what it's like in let's say formative like like working for a company like that bring us into that for a little bit yeah and i'll speak uh generally um the the you notice several differences right away and that's the first one the first one probably being that money isn't a dirty word anymore mm. it's no longer the thing that no one's ever supposed to talk about yeah. and i mean that in terms of like overall compensation what you're making for the role um but i mean that in terms of you're working for a business Mm-hmm. businesses exist to make a profit. If they're not making a profit, then they're going to start firing people so they can maintain a profit. So no. they're doing what they can do. And this is probably the second difference is that they're quantifying and measuring how effective employees are in their role. So for example, I'm in sales. So there are easy metrics to, to figure out. Um, Matt gets X number of leads people that want to have a conversation about our platform how many of those people can you genuinely help and hopefully lead to an eventual purchase and let me tell you something we genuinely want to help people but at the the end of the day Mm -hmm. my answer is well you know you guys hand me 10 you know uh, potential customers and i sold zero of them um you know this is a for-profit business that's not going to work so there are metrics like that, and, and I'm giving the sales example, but in marketing, there are metrics mm-hmm. that each employee is connected to. Um, in product, there's so much code and so much development that mm-hmm. you're connected to. In customer service, they have you scored. I'm not saying this at form, I'm just speaking in general. You go yep. anywhere, you go into customer service, customers are going to turn in ratings about your performance at the end of the conversation typically mm-hmm. so that the company can figure out were you 
helpful? Are you proficient at your job? How can we give you additional training? And eventually things don't work. Sorry, you're not profitable. You know, we're going to, we're going to move on from you as an employee. And here's why that's different is that working in education and your listeners relate to this. So I'll just say it and it won't sound like I'm being, you know, braggy or arrogant or whatever, but we know that we're the best teacher in the hallway. We know that the people to the left of us and the right of us are good people, but we know that we're really effective at what mm-hmm. we do, but we're compensated the exact same way. Yeah. Our yeah. metrics turn out totally different and mm-hmm. it doesn't impact the overall quality that we have at that, at that school. Mm-hmm. We can earn four out of fours all day in an, in an inner or in an observation, but the principal can never say, you know, this person's gotten forged all years. Around. I, th- I think we ought to give them a promotion. I think that's not how the education world works. And nope. so there's a lot of freedom. Um, and <laughs> I hope I'm not selling it too much to your <laughs> listeners. Please stay in education. Maybe I should talk about the downsides of it. Um, but but there's that difference right away that you, you realize. And for me, that was very freeing. And it made me feel like, you know what? As long as I can control my performance, which I can, um, and I can produce results for my company, I, I think I think I'm going to be okay. I think I'm going to make it out of this thing alive, which I did not feel that way in 2016. Yeah, that's great. And this has been such a great conversation. You have given us some insights, some stories, and also some some great explanation about formative and what that is. But it's time for the final word. Matt, what would you like to say to close out this podcast? A couple of things I would say. uh, Number one, if you're an effective teacher, um, if you possibly can, keep doing it. We really desperately need good people in the education system to either stay where they're at or to ascend into leadership roles and create an environment. If you're in a position that's not healthy, create a healthy environment. Do what you can do to make the lives of other people better, you know, Create that space that you wish that you had. Um, second, if you're look, if you're really intrigued in technology and how to use Formative in the classroom, create a free account and go for it. Formative.com. I would really recommend our silver. We have a bronze, which is our free version, a silver version. Get your admin to pay for that thing on the credit card, or <laughs> inquire about a, a our best subscription that gets everybody the best of. I've got so many quotes in front of me about. Teachers just raving about the amount of time. Uh, can I can I just read one of them? I yeah, got like go 40,000 of or 30 in front of me. I don't want to overstate it, but one of the most this is from a teacher named Emily in Illinois. One of the most time consuming aspects of teaching is the grading. Formative helps me streamline that process, saves me a few hours each week. I've got other quotes in front of me that say, It took me three times as long to understand where students really were. I know what I need to teach now, tomorrow, within mm. five to 10 minutes. And if you look at, if you follow me on LinkedIn or I just built a Twitter account a couple weeks ago, I have like 10 followers on it. <laughs> um, but it, it says, In order to drive instruction on Tuesday, teachers need data from Monday. I, where are you getting the data from? And I'm not talking about big summative benchmark data that teachers don't use. They just don't have the time to figure all that stuff out, but something really quick that teaches, that illustrates, this is what they actually learned today and gives you insight on what to do tomorrow. Before we end, who do you want to give a shout out to? I would say, I would give a shout out to anyone writing good education content right now on LinkedIn. (laughs) We, 
when I joined LinkedIn a couple of years ago, there were no educators writing content. So if you yeah. can find good people, follow them. Uh, if you resonate with the stuff that I've talked about, you feel like you're, you know, in a corner and you're looking to leave. I know it's a small percentage of our listeners here, but there can be a way forward. I'd say get connected to some people that are posting good jobs. Holly Owens does excellent work in instructional design. She's extremely gifted and well-respected. I was on her podcast a couple of times. She'll be, her and I will do a webinar in a couple of weeks on instructional design. She's oh, now cool. at AWS, Amazon. She's also a university instructional design. And then Jeff Patterson, who's the CEO of Gaggle. Matt, you probably see his post. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I know both of them. Yeah. 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 So he's posting job stuff. Um, a couple times a week saying, Hey, this, this is a good job. If you're a transitioning teacher looking out, apply here. Yeah, that's great. I'll, I'll put both of them in the show notes and you're right. Jeff gives such great content every week and, and Holly does as well. And I'll put both of them in the show notes so people can get their names spelled and go search for them on LinkedIn. Matt, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. All of your insight listeners. Thank you for joining us on the diving deep edu podcast. If you liked this episode subscribe rate review and share it out until next time wow it's time to reflect that's astounding you've been checking out the podcast from matthew downing hope you like diving deep like a scuba diver and the show provoked hope that's our true desire